Welcome back to the Hemingway List for Book 13, Chapter 17 of War and Peace. Now that the French are obviously mortally wounded, will the Russians push the advantage? Do you think the character of Kutuzov is a prism through which to view Tolstoy's own view of the war? Or is the fictional character close to the real Kutuzov in character? I think he... I think it's meant to represent the real character of Kutuzov. He was a real person and played the same role in the war as Tolstoy has sort of used, um, commander-in-chief and whatnot. Uh, it's clear that Tolstoy likes Kutuzov, respects him. Um, so maybe maybe he is kind of biased towards it, but I don't know if he's trying to... Um, project his own view through Kutuzov, through the character. But then again, what do I know? I don't know who Tolstoy was. I don't know who Kutuzov was. They were well before our time, so we can only speculate. FDLP1 says, Everything that Kutuzov is thinking screams Tolstoy down to the beast and apple metaphors, though no bees. However, the physical description goes the other way, with multiple mentions of him being old, fat-bellied, and having a disfigured face. I take this as Tolstoy's internal conflict and not wanting to validate one of history's traditional heroes too much. The call-out to the Madame de Stael letters makes me think Tolstoy may have found Kutuzov's correspondence expressed uh, may have found Kutuzov correspondence expressing similar thoughts. Warren Kovofsky says, I think the Russians strike. Kutuzov has been waiting for this moment for some time. I'm no Russian history buff, but from my ignorant perspective, Kutuzov seems to be a sound military leader for the most part, but Tolstoy likes to portray him some unflattering terms, decrepit, fat, and grotesque. I can't help but think this is more of Tolstoy trying to remind us these historical figures are just human in the end. Brett Peterson says, My favourite part of the chapter was when it talked about cherry-picking your information to match your desire. I thought that was a social media problem, but apparently it's been around for a long time. Oh yeah, you know, I reckon it would have... Who knows if it would have been worse then, but how could you possibly tell misinformation from real information back then when, you know, if you wanted to know what a... um, what a... uh, uh, I don't know... manatee is you had to try to find a book that would tell you what a manatee is for example i don't know why i thought of manatee what is a manatee (laughs) so you're now going to manatee just google it yeah it's what i thought that big ugly looking uh seal whale seal thingy anyway what was my point oh yeah can you imagine back then just not being able to know things and if someone ran up to you and said, hey, guess what? Such and such did thingy thing. You'd just have to be like, what? Did they? Okay. How do I- cool. I guess I believe you. I guess I believe you. That's the best we can do. Um, all right, let's read the next chapter. 18. From the time he received this news to the end of the campaign, all Kutuzov's activity was directed towards restraining his troops by authority, by guile, and by entreaty from useless attacks, manoeuvres, or encounters with the perishing enemy. Dokhturov went to Malayarosovlets, but Kutuzov lingered with the main army and gave orders for the evacuation of Kaluga, a retreat beyond which towns seemed to him quite possible. Everywhere Kutuzov retreated, but the enemy, without failing, for his retreat fled in the opposite direction. 
Napoleon's historians describe to us his skilled manoeuvres at Tavretino and Malo Yaroslavets and make conjectures as to what would have happened had Napoleon been in time to penetrate into the rich southern provinces, but not to speak of the fact that nothing prevented him from advancing into those southern provinces from the Russian army did not bar for the Russian army did not bar his way. The historians forget that nothing could have saved his army, and then already it bore within itself the germs of inevitable ruin. How could that army, which had found abundant supplies in Moscow and had trampled them underfoot instead of keeping them, and on arriving in Smolensk had looted provisions instead of storing them, how could that army recuperate in Kaluga province, which was inhabited by Russians, such as those who lived in Moscow and where fire had the same property of consuming what was set ablaze? The army could not recover anywhere. Since the Battle of Borodino and the pillage of Moscow, it had borne within itself, as it were, the chemical elements of dissolution. The members of what had once been an army, Napoleon himself and all his soldiers, fled without knowing whither, each concerned only to make his escape as quickly as possible from the position of the hopelessness of which they were all more or less vaguely conscious. So it came about that at the Council of Malo Malo Yaroslavets, when the generals pretending to confer together expressed various opinions, all mouths were closed by the opinion uttered by the simple-minded soldier, Muton, who speaking last said what they all felt, that the one thing needful was to get away as quickly as possible, and no one, not even Napoleon, could say anything against that truth which they all recognised. But, though they all realised that it was necessary to get away, there still remained a feeling of shame at admitting that they must flee. An external shock was needed to overcome that shame, and this shock came in due time. It was what the French called Le Horreur d'Empereur. The day after the council at Malo Yaroslavets, Napoleon rode out early in the morning and amid the lines of his army with his suite of marshals and an escort on the pretext of inspecting the army and the scene of the previous and of the impending battle. Some Cossacks on the prowl for booty fell in with the Emperor and very nearly captured him. If the Cossacks did not capture Napoleon then, what saved him was the very thing that was destroying the French army, the booty on which the Cossacks fell, where, as at Tarotino, they went after plunder, leaving the men. Disregarding Napoleon, they rushed after the plunder and Napoleon managed to escape. When Le Fonte du Don might so easily have taken the Emperor himself in the midst of his army, it was clear that there was nothing for it but to fly as fast as possible along the nearest familiar road. Napoleon, with his forty-year-old stomach, understood that hint, not feeling his former agility and boldness, and under the influence of the fright of the Cossacks had given him, he at once agreed with Mouton and issued orders, as the historians tell us, to retreat by the Smolensk road. That Napoleon agreed with Mouton, and that the army retreated, does not prove that Napoleon caused it to retreat, but that the forces which influence the whole army are directed and directed it along the Mosheysk, that is, the Smolensk road, acted simultaneously on him also. Alright, there we go, and there's a chapter for you. It is official. Napoleon is doing a retreat. Get out of there. We may have messed up. That's what he said. Hey guys, you know how we came into Russia? We may have messed up. Maybe we should get it back out. Alright, thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.